0: stew it stew it we're just going to talk about comics Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. This is the podcast where two brothers talk about comic books they love. Uh, We are doing an in-depth series on the 1960s run of the Fantastic Four. Um, But before I get into that, let me tell you who I am. My name is Will Hines and I'm one of the two hosts. My name is Kevin Hines. I'm the other host. Uh, Will and I are both UCB performers and teachers. Will lives in Uh, California. That's right, Los Angeles specifically And I live in New York State We won't get more specific than that Uh, We're going to tell you it's a metropolis in the southern part of New York State There is one or more Empire State buildings in this metropolis But that's all we'll say Yeah, that's it Um, And we were brothers, we grew up together reading these comics And um, then everyone in the world told us that we needed to make a podcast We didn't want to yeah, we, we hate doing this. The United Nations uh, passed an executive request. That's right. For us specifically to talk about our... Con- and they said, make it last. Yeah, you saw this on the news, I'm sure. It was probably covered by all the 24-hour news stations. Which we boycott, so we would have no idea. I haven't seen it. We, we didn't see that. We have no access we to We didn't this. know about it until someone knocked on our door. Yep, it was a guy in a blue helmet from the United Nations with a writ... Old yellowed parchment. Yeah. And uh, he handed us a microphone and said, get to work. And then we had to kind of figure out what he was talking about. We had to work backwards from that. Yeah. So, anyway, here we are doing this podcast about comic books. And um, yeah, so this season's all been about Jack Kirby's run on Fantastic Four, which is enormously. It's 102 issues, and every issue has like six characters, all of whom become major players in the Marvel Universe. Six characters, 10 machines, three plots, four scientific breakthroughs, a couple of alien civilizations. And we're covering 17 issues in this episode. Uh, and so we're not getting too in-depth into any of that stuff. Yeah. I guess we're spending two episodes on it. We do one... The way yeah. we've started to do this, if anybody is still listening... That's right. The way we've started to do this is we'll, we'll take a chunk of the issues, like we're doing a 17-issue chunk, and we'll do one episode that kind of... Very quickly sort of recaps the stories for fun. And then the next issue where we do the commentary, basically. Yeah, just sort of stuff that developed in it, or our thoughts on things. And we also take time to, like, really talk about just an individual character. This episode, we're going to talk about Dr. Doom. We're going to do a deep dive on the main villain of the FF, which is Dr. Doom. Yeah. The silliest named villain in the Marvel Universe. Certainly the silliest prominent villain. <laughs> He's probably the most famous villain. I mean, let's we'll talk about that when we get to him. Okay, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, we're going to get into Dr. Doom and um yeah and so you know we're we're tracking this you know the fantastic four uh was a huge hit for marvel and it it becomes during jack kirby's run one of the best superhero comics ever in our opinion and yeah. in a lot of people's opinions i mean other than spider-man or pro- possibly more than spider-man at this time it was the most important marvel comic yeah could probably be more important than spider-man at this time um it definitely Spider-Man overtakes him at some point. Yeah, I'm not sure if that happens during Ditko's run or during Romita's run. Yeah, um, I don't know. But but definitely, it's at worst the second most important comic that Marvel has, mm-hmm. which you wouldn't know based on popular media of today, where it feels like oh, Iron Man must have been the most popular. Yeah, uh, according to, you know the. The FF have not really made any kind of impact on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, they have a little bit, but nothing near what their impact was in the comic book universe. Yeah. And uh, certainly at this time. Anyway, this is our second chunk. Yeah. Uh, our first chunk. We did issues. the first eight issues, which mm-hmm. were sort of the birth and evolution of those early issues where they were very, a lot changed. Yeah. And this issue sort of settles into a kind of a bad rut. These are kind of bad. This is issues yeah. nine through 24 we're going over. And the, yeah, they're, I'm, I'm calling them the bad issues. Yeah. Um. Although there's lots of good stuff, but it's, it's the craziest time. It's weird. I can't believe that. Well, we talked about it a little bit in our recap, but like, so what's bad about it is like the villains are dumb. Uh, the plot has huge leaps that they're not explained. The characterizations are all, all over the place for the, for the FF themselves. Yeah. Tonally. The book is – it's unclear if it's a superhero book or sort of a comedic book. Yeah, there's lots of slapstick and silly villains. I mean, the villains – even like Doctor Doom, who becomes, again, like the most famous villain in the Marvel Universe, definitely the FF's arch nemesis, Yeah, he's a goof. He's a goof. He has the most insane plots. I mean, hes he truly makes me laugh. He always does, even, even in his – Good times. Well, okay, we'll get into him more in, yeah, in our we, proper segment. How, what what are some, we doing? But Submariner is silly in these issues. Uh, Ramatat, who is basically a, a, a predecessor of Kang, who's like a huge villain in the Marvel universe, is a weird, silly, insane villain. Yeah, it would. It's sort of like. Uh, an FF villain in these stretches is like a guy who's like gains the ability to like control fire I'm making this example up but then instead of sort of like I don't know I don't know, becoming a national phenomenon. He gets focused in on like outracing Johnny Storm in the Indianapolis 500 using his flame powers or something while simultaneously declaring war on the human race. Yeah. And then Reed beats him by trapping him in a giant yo-yo or something like that. It's yeah. like something that's like, what? That doesn't seem like, that doesn't fit what you're setting up sort of. Yeah. There's aspects of this that's closer to the old Batman TV show than what we would think of as, like, modern Marvel comics. Like, there's definitely an issue where they talk to the mayor of the city and they give him, like, the keys to the Baxter building in case they don't come back, as if they've got, like, some sort of deal with the, the mayor, as if they're, like, appointed police officers. Yeah. Uh. Or And as if he's, like, their buddy. Yeah. He's never been in the comic before or after. Yeah. It was, like, an issue. It was, like, we better check in with the mayor. Yeah, they can't, like... There's no one else they know. Like, they don't have, like, a like a buddy or, like, yeah. you know. Um, so, but then again, so maybe maybe it's interesting to think about what is still good in these issues. Because the comic was still popular. Yeah. Uh, and we talked about this a little bit in the recap. And it's like, it still feels kind of uh, fun in the way of a bad movie where it's bad, but there's so many fun things going on that you walk out being like, well, it wasn't boring. It's unlike... Anything else that Marvel's doing And I'm for sure what DC is doing It's original It's like feels different than a standard superhero story Like comparing this to the Avengers Which I think has not started yet But comparing it to the Hulk Or Iron Man Or Giant Man or Spider-Man Those issues felt like they took themselves A little more seriously And this comic does not at all And even though that's not something I would say is part of the Fantastic Four It certainly makes it Stand out uh, the splash pages and the covers are always interesting and eye grabbing. It's always like, "Oh, what insane thing of the FF getting up to this time?" Oh yeah, it is like Kirby's visual design is sort of still great. Like, like the FF themselves like look interesting. Always, right? Stretchy dude, invisible woman, rock dude, flame dude, they look cool. Um, And they're not traditional. There's no capes. Three of them wear a uniform, and then rock dude doesn't. There's sort of a lack of symmetry in a way that makes it feel kind of authentic, strangely. Um, uh, His villains are all very distinct looking, but they don't look like anything else that you've seen before. Um, whereas I feel like DC comics at this time w- had hit a sort of formula where it's like, all right, good guys got a cape and a little domino mask. And the, you know, the bad guy has got muscular and everything looks neat and contained. And even though, uh, Kirby, uh, and the other Marvel comics did have some cool covers. I do think these covers stand out. We've got like a cover of like hate monger leaning over them, zapping them with a the Ray. We've got like, uh, 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 even the silly first issue we're gonna we talked about, which is uh, Namor becoming <laughs> uh, uh, head of a movie, a movie studio, studio, yeah, has like the FF sort of being pelted by stuff and and shamed out of the Baxter Building. It's eye catching if nothing else. I mean, this is yeah, this is Jack Kirby like trying to make a hit comic. Like he is trying to grab your attention, and he is good at it. Like he knows sort of how to set up an image so that you, especially if you're a young kid comics reader, are like want to know what's happening. Mm. There's like an issue where Doom has got the FF in his hand and he's clutching them, not symbolically, but actually they're tiny and in his hand. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's a sci fi series that runs at 100 miles an hour. And even though we're in this stretch where it veers a little too silly and a little too so fast that it's like nonsensical, you still are being entertained. And hopefully you listened to the previous episode where we recap the stuff. I mean, some of these issues are good. Like the red ghost and his indescribable super apes is a ridiculous concept, but it's a really fun comic. Yeah. Uh, some of them are just flat out terrible. The infant terrible, I think is <laughs> it's pretty almost bad. unreadable. <laughs> I don't really like the Ramatat one. I don't really like the doom issues. Uh, the doom has some fun moments in those. Well, the doom. Yeah. Uh, another, another thing that starts to happen is um, I think where Kirby really shines in the fantastic four in the, in the next couple of chunks. And it's starting to happen here is weirdly not with the fantastic four, but the worlds they visit get mm-hmm. very cool and they yeah. visit the microverse in and the stretch. And that's kind of a fun idea. The biggest hint to what's to come is probably the first annual where they, spend some time with Namor in Atlantis. Right. And Atlantis is not just this afterthought. It is like a whole civilization that Kirby lays out. Yeah. And unbeknownst to us, there's like two or three other major players in Atlantis that we've never met before. Yeah. Dorma. And then, um, his advisor. Krang? Krang, I think. We don't see a Tuma yet. Yeah. Tuma's a villain who wants to take over Atlantis. We see him later on in this run. And it sort of sounds like, I would say, it's the kind of thing which on paper sounds like a bad idea. Like it's like, oh, what's your comic book about? Oh, it's about the Fantastic Four. Oh, okay, great. So there's four heroes. You got it, pal. What's this issue about? Well, we spend 10 pages in Atlantis and we lay out a cast of characters and a whole term. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where's the Fantastic Four? And then we don't get to them until later. What? Yeah. Like that sounds bad, but that's actually where he's strongest. They're almost, the Fantastic Four almost become like the gateway to meet all these different worlds and like yeah. they're almost not important like they're, you could replace them with four other heroes and it would not lose uh, a lot uh, there are certain times yeah where, but they're kind of just our ambassadors to the places they visit if you replace this with the challenges of the unknown the sort of Kirby predecessors four dudes yeah. uh, who were living on borrowed time and going on adventures but inserted them into these stories they Some probably of the, still mostly work yeah Because a a lot of what makes the FF work is not the FF, although they they do get better than they are in these issues, but it's the worlds they visit. And it's kind of, it's crazy. I love it. And there's something fun about seeing these issues, um, about reading old comics. Kevin, I wonder if you feel this way. Like once the Marvel Universe gets more established, there's sort of like a very complicated continuity that sets in. Like, you know, if... Galactus threatens the Earth in FF, well, then you have to see some reference to that in the Doctor Strange issues or Mm -hmm. whatever. And, like, if a character loses an important family member or relationship, other characters will know that. And they start to accumulate a history. So by the time you get to, like, the 1980s, which is when we were reading comics, there's this whole history which makes it interesting, but it's also... You feel kind of hemmed in by the past. the 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 world, and in these issues, the frontier is wide open. There is no boundary to what Kirby can do. Yeah, I also think in current issues, and this is a some people love this, but there's this aspect of like if there's a huge threat, it's like, well, why aren't all the other heroes? Where's Daredevil? Where's Spider Man? Yeah. Where's Giant Man? Wouldn't they all come? Even if there's no Avengers, wouldn't Thor? Check out on what this Galactus situation is? Yeah. He would. He would. It's just like I don't want that story. Yeah. I I really get bothered when I read a comic and they have to spend like two pages going, Well, the Avengers are out of town. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Just let uh We're on I understand board. We're... why you have to do that. I don't watch, you know, uh Spider Man homecoming and go, Oh, I wonder why uh Ant Man didn't get involved in this. Right. It's like I just I don't think we about don't care, it. I don't yeah. I don't wanna know. And I, I think there's something kind of fun about these early issues where there's he can make a whole civilization and not really have to worry about because, hey, for example, with the microverse, right? There's a two part. Sure, sure. There's a two part story in this run. Issues. Uh, what are the numbers here for the Doom ones? The microverse is issue. It's these two. Uh, yeah, it's issues sixteen and seventeen. Yeah, sixteen and seventeen. Um, where Doctor Doom who we previously saw shrinking into nothingness. (laughs) Yes. He, he, um, he, he discovers a world called the microverse and he shrinks into nothingness in issue 10. (laughs) Okay. And then, um, I think the microverse, the, the way it's kind of implied is that anywhere you shrink, whether it's like in New York or Los Angeles or in Europe, you go to a kingdom called the microverse somehow like, it's, it's not just like a little land that's on your toe. It is anytime you shrink, you go to the same place. Yeah, it doesn't fully make sense. I mean, I guess it's like a little solar system, but still, that should only be in that one spot in your room. Yeah, like if, if there's a microverse in my living room and then I shrink in the dining room, I shouldn't go to that microverse. You should be in, so far away from but it. But in the FF, anywhere you shrink, you're in just this single microverse. So that's like silly, but also fun. Yeah. And it, and it makes it sort of easy for the FF and Doom to have a battle where they're constantly shrinking and growing out of this world? I mean, the FF travel to, not in these issues necessarily, but they travel underwater to Atlantis. They travel to space. They travel to the microverse. They travel to the negative zone. Mm -hmm. They travel to the Inhumans' uh, hidden city. They travel to Wakanda's hidden city. Yeah, they go to Skrull's uh, planet. Yeah. It's like they're constantly f- discovering new things and new worlds. And and without the Scrolls one, you're right. They're all just on Earth. Like there's just other, you know, well, the gateways from Earth to like yeah. other. And, uh, you know, Kirby loves doing that and it's fun. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this stuff lasts forever. Like Marvel comics still visit all these places. Yeah. He sort of. He sort of was like the J.R.R. R. Tolkien in a way. He like kind of mapped out all these lands and he would just sort of mention them and you would get a glimpse. And then future artists and yeah. writers would kind of flesh them out. I mean, the first uh, during this while well, this one is going on, the Watcher, who is a character who sits on the moon and watches Earth, <laughs> observing everything that happens, becomes the host of an anthology comic that Marvel does. where It's like the Watcher tells a story about another planet. The Watcher is maybe the biggest comics nerd in any in any <laughs> fictional universe because he is super obsessed with the lives of the superheroes, mm-hmm. and he wonders what would happen if things went differently. And he's here to tell. Yeah. He's the Rod Serling if Rod Serling was the biggest nerd. And but even before What If, he hosts this anthology comic of just sort of like sci fi stories. Oh, I run. didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. That's he's like it's uh, not he's what a co feature in Tales to Astonish or something. Oh, oh. And it's just the Watcher stories. Yeah, oh, and he's just like, here is something cool I noticed. Yeah. Uh, uh, I guess he'd be a good guy for that. Yeah. And he doesn't, it, it's only like an eight or nine issue run. I think he gets replaced by Nick Fury at some point. Um, but like, he's a spinoff from this comic. Namor spins off into his own comic. The Inhumans that we haven't met yet spin off into their own comic. Uh, Black Panther spins off into his own comic. It's like all these characters, these worlds that Kirby invented are just like, they're the next round of Marvel comics. I mean, this is so so much of the Marvel universe is laid out in this comic. It's sort of crazy. It's but you know, it's also as we're talking about it, it's so different than the even even though the characters uh and the names and the visual designs that Kirby makes, like they live on for still. Like this template of comic, the like science explorers, that's not really a template of like Spider-Man became the template of the what stories would happen. Like emotionally pressing issues. For these supernatural people. Spider-Man and the X-Men. That, that That's the template of drama, right? Yeah. I mean, I do think the FF, not at this point really, but eventually become a template for like a family of superheroes. Mm-hmm. Like we're not a team because we got together and decided let's work together. We're brothers and, and lovers and... Best friend. Parents. And we're a family. It's like we can re- people can join in and help us out and replace us temporarily. But at the end of the day, this is the team like the Avengers. Who are the Avengers? It's not initially the first lineup. It's whoever's in the Avengers right now. Yeah. it sort of has become like Captain America, Iron Man, Thor are kind of always Avengers. But yeah. everybody else rotates. Yeah. But Captain America wasn't even an original Avenger. But the Fantastic Four always come back to these four because it's not a team. Yes, okay, but you're right But the sort of like structure of an of an issue of FF sure. Which is like, you know, Reed finds foam land And they go and meet a bunch of foam creatures And then Doom is disguised as a foam man It's closer to probably like uh, um, uh, pulp stories Yeah, it's closer to like uh, the thrilling adventure stories yeah. or whatever You know, it's like a team of scientists feels closer to that sort of stuff. Because I think like I'm always trying to kind of figure out why the FF haven't cracked the MCU well or just any movie adaptation. Forget the actual MCU, Mm -hmm. just like none of the movie adaptations of the FF have been good. Some have been hilariously bad. Um, And I think it's because we are not trained to expect what the FF were good at delivering sort of. Um, Iron Man is in the comics before the movies was nowhere near as important a character as many other Marvel properties, but he did fit the, he's got personal stakes. He's got a good character that is, that is interesting, even without his costume. Mm -hmm. Uh, he sort of has a good arc. He, he's pretty adaptable where it's like the FF is weird. Yep. I think the FF can work. You just need somebody who. Isn't trying to make a hit movie, but wants to make a good Fantastic Four movie. And I just don't think that's happened yet. Or isn't meddled with by producers for that. Like, somebody's just sort of left alone. I mean, hopefully now that Marvel owns it and Kevin Feige can say, like, hey. This is what the FF This this is is how the FF works. I'll find a director who agrees with that. And he'll tell the story he wants to tell in that realm. It'll work. Because a group of people who are... I mean it is a little bit Iron Man falls into that sometimes uh, and Ant-Man falls into that a little bit it's like oh we're just scientists who are getting into trouble yeah it's sort of what the FF become Mm -hmm. as this Mm -hmm. series goes on at this point there's still more reactive superheroes like a threat happens and they go fight it but very shortly after this it's more like oh they go to another world and unleash a threat that they need to deal with (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, Reed gets curious about something and they go I think um You know, the recent FF movie, which was really terrible, Mm -hmm. um, with um, Miles, uh, whatever, playing Reed. Good actors. Miles Teller? Yeah. uh, I think. And um, and Michael B. B. Jordan as the torch. And, like, uh, I really liked all the cast. Yeah. And when I watched it, I mean, it's bad real early, and it stays bad. But, um, you know, I was kind of looking at it like, you know, there's elements here where I can see where... Somebody was trying to make an FF story like they visit an alternate dimension. Mm-hmm. Um the family aspect is big. The powers are kind of burdens for them in a good Marvely sort of way. Like there's a point where they're all being the government's like trying to test all of their boundaries and Reed is being tortured and stretched and mm-hmm. uh they they they're, they're, they that's kind of a good soapy sort of like oh I wish this gift hadn't happened to me moment. Um so, I don't know. I can—somebody was—I'm more sympathetic to that movie than than. There are aspects others. of that movie where I think that guy understood what made them work. I don't think—I <laughs> don't think his version—I think he got—a lot was changed on him by producers, but I don't think—I think his version would have been—ended up being boring. Yeah, might have been too serious. And then the version that the producers wanted would have been too stupid. Instead, we got sort of a boring, stupid movie. Yeah, we got the worst of everybody's—everybody's yeah. <laughs> everybody's visions. Um, uh, let's get it. Let's get into our first segment, Will. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have a ton to say on this segment, but let's uh, do it. Let's do it. This is our segment called Revoltant Developments. Yeah. The character development. Yeah. So this is just the characters and how they've uh, evolved or changed during these 17 issues. Okay. So let's start with Reed. Uh, I'm going to start with Johnny because okay. I don't think he changes at all. He doesn't change at all. Yeah. I really feel like Johnny. sort of, he's a hothead. He's dating around. Yeah. He likes girls. He likes cars. Having fun. He's impatient. He likes being the torch. Yeah. There's something very fun about Johnny, and this is also true of the thing, that whenever they get into fights, Johnny Johnny and Ben always leap in first without thinking about it and tend to get beat, beaten. Yeah. But, like, they're the guys who we figure out the, how the villain fights and we see what he's all about, and then Reed figures out how to beat him, and then all four sort of attack. Yeah. And those two are just always leaping into the battle. There's something fun about that. Yeah. Jo- it's, Johnny- well, it was sort of true at the end of the eight issues we just read. Johnny maybe is already f- the way he's going to be for a little while. Crystal changes him when he meets the Inhumans. When he when that's, he meets his love. That's his next big evolution, in, but it hasn't happened yet. Yes, yeah, so he's just a hothead, impatient kid. Yeah. And he stays that way the whole time. That's right. So, yeah, now let's go to Reed, because I think there's a little bit with him. Yeah, so we talked about last time how Reed starts off as this kind of kindly 90-year-old looking scientist. He's yeah. not 90, but he looks like really yeah. old. And he becomes more of a gruff army sergeant, really. Yes, and that happens. That's happened and it keeps happening here. Yeah, that that has started here. He gets – he's getting more confident. He's becoming a superhero during this run, which is not even where he stops at. But I think during this run he feels like a hero. He's a leader and a hero Yeah, more than a scientist. I, I you know, read in uh, – Stan Lee, uh, the co-writer and editor – Jack Kirby, both served in World War II, and I think they have the army on their mind a lot with the FF. Like, when the villain shows up, it's like, set your feelings aside, man. We got a job to do. And Reed is is always saying stuff like that. Reed, still at this point, is um, just dating Sue. Right. He hasn't popped the question. So he is filled with self-doubt Anytime Namor shows up. He doesn't know if Sue loves him. Which is the best. Uh, Namor proposes to Sue constantly. Yeah. He can't stop proposing to Sue. Um and Reed doesn't doesn't just doesn't know how she fully feels about him, knows that she is uh, uh, conflicted, mm-hmm. and that torments him, and it brings out a softer side to Reed that will go away, will go away before and these hundred two issues are over, and he will just become a complete jerk. <laughs> yeah, uh, but at this point, he's also still like I was saying, he's still more of a hero, I think, than um. By the time we get past Galactus, I think he's just full on. Always oh, working on something, <laughs> yeah. And here he's like, "We got to go fight this villain who just attacked Times Square." is more, his. it's our duty to save yeah. save the day. Um. So there's a little movement on Reed. Yeah. Um. Uh, Sue next? Uh, sure. Well, Sue has a huge development. which is She gets powers that matter. Yeah. Um. Lou up. This is Lou. Sue, I mean. Yeah, Lulu, your cat? <laughs> yeah, my cat Louise. It uh, doesn't really change in these issues because she's not in them. She's a cat and wasn't born yet. That's true. She is, Your cat Louise has very little character yeah, development true. in these issues. Uh, but Sue's, uh, before she gets her upgrade in powers, is still sort of stuck in the helpless, distress, getting kidnapped. Scared. There's a slight stretch where the FF tried to convince us she's useful by having a button for her to push or giving letting her steal someone's gun. Yeah. Um, but it always feels tacked on and oh, yeah. not really important to the story. All right. It's not good. She uh, moons over Namor. She moons over Ant-Man. Yeah, anytime a guy enters, she thinks he's handsome. Yeah, so she's not great. She's not great. Uh, Rama Tut wants to marry her. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's... It's <laughs> there's fun to be had of it. All these other men are willing to pop the question to Sue, and Reed is sort of <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> um Yeah, she doesn't say yes to any of them. That should be a signal. She thinks about it with Namor. That's what's fun. Uh, But yeah, so Sue doesn't go through a lot. And then uh, in issue... um, What is this issue? Uh, Issue 22, Mm -hmm. Sue gets a power upgrade. Yeah, Reed figures out that... Reed figures it out. It's very important. It's stressed... Really harden this yeah. that issue that Reed decides she's got more powers. Reed helps her get it. It's yeah. all thanks to Reed yeah. that Sue is slightly better now. <laughs> I mean, well, more than slightly better. I mean, power wise, this is huge. She gains yes. the ability to make invisible force shields. Yes, and you. This makes her one of the most powerful people, and also make other people invisible. Yeah, this is a huge upgrade. Superhero. There's limitations to it. She can't be invisible and create force fields. She can't make somebody else invisible and herself be invisible. I think that's fun. Uh, I think it is weird and <laughs> arbitrary. Like, it's not about how much she covers. Mm, yeah. It's not like when she makes the thing invisible, she can't make him entirely invisible. Right. It's just, it's either the thing or her. Yeah. The thing's way bigger than her. Yeah. she so make a force field of any size. Yeah. Or a mouse invisible. Yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of... Uh, and it. that sort of just quietly goes away. I went online on Twitter and asked... Um, a few comic creators. The only person who answered were Kurt uh, Busick. Kurt just, answered? Yeah. It was just basically like, when did this go away? When did this limitation go away? Do you know? Did it just sort of fade away and not get referenced? Or was there like yeah. a time where like she overcame and he, and his answer was, I think it just goes away. Yeah. No one's sure, but definitely during this run, it's never explicitly If Kurt doesn't know, away. nobody knows. And there's a couple of times where it doesn't happen, but it could just be Stan Lee or Jack Kirby forgetting. Yeah. Um... And I just haven't really read the issues after this run. Yeah. So I don't know if it's arbit- ever explicitly stated that these powers have changed. So her physical powers. But yeah, if Kurt doesn't know. No one knows. Uh, Tom Brevroot, I also asked because like he might know if nobody else knows. because He's he's a, the British guy. He is the editor <laughs> of Marvel Comics. <laughs> the guy, I keep saying he's British even so though he's yes. not. And, and a longtime editor of Fantastic Four <laughs> and a huge Fantastic Four fan. Yeah. On his blog, he talks about... Uh, it's, it's basically his, all the comics he's ever read as a kid yeah. in order of how he read them. Oh, wow. He was a big DC guy. Yeah. And then the Human Torch lures him in ah. to Marvel Comics and the Fantastic Four. Yeah. And that starts spreading into all the other books. Oh, that's fun. But he thought the Human Torch was cool. It's really great. It's really fun to read through like a child's eyes. Yeah. It talks about like going to 7-Eleven. You want the guys who are editing Marvel and DC comics to be like. The passionate Lifelong fan. He is a huge Flash fan, though. It's really great, too. It's like. It's, oh, yeah. He's not just. William like, ah, Flash is dumb. No, nah, I mean, maybe. But he. Carrie Bates. Uh, nah. uh, Carmen Infantino. Old school. Yeah. I mean, this during the era when he, he was, was reading, a kid. Yeah. Um, comics. He liked those Flash stories. mean, um, Flash is eye catching and cool. Maybe he likes red heroes. You know, the torch is mostly red. The flash is red. Tim root is half bull. Uh-huh. So see what that, he thinks of the Vision's face. Sure, is that okay. his third favorite hero? Yes, that is. All right, and see. then a red blanket. It's <laughs> fourth. Um, uh, but yeah, so Sue gets these powers. Uh, they are limited, uh, but they immediately go into use. She immediately... Well, she becomes an offensive threat. Uh, yeah, and also just a defensive... She's part of a battle, I guess is what I yeah. mean. Like she's, she's a warrior now. None of these guys really have powers to defend uh must read a little bit can like catch stuff yeah but the thing just takes hits and the human torch can try to melt things before they get to them sue puts up a force field they're safe yeah and that is a kind of a huge deal in the especially dealing with the stuff they get involved with yeah when i said offensive i was wrong but i just mean she's in the battles now she's like she's a huge uh a factor can we talk about that john burn issue yeah um there's a john burn issue where, so John um, Byrne, comics creator, who in the yes. 80s does Fantastic Four, and a lot of people is the second— he, he was the next person after Kirby to have a hugely impactful FF run. Right. And one of his— well, he does a couple things with Sue. Yeah. Which we'll— uh, uh, maybe we'll talk about that on the Sue in depth this episode. Yeah. But there's an issue where uh, a, a character, Kristoff, is becoming the new Doom, and he's being imported with Doom's memories is what I'm thinking about. Yeah. And he remembers issue— what was it? Eight? No. Uh, five. The space spaceship six. one? Oh, the Issue sp- six, which is where Doom launches the Baxter building into space. Yeah. And Christoph is watching that memory going, oh, the only thing that screwed me up is I betrayed Namor. If Namor wasn't involved, I win that battle. Yeah. Which is true in the story. Namor yes. saves the day. I'll just do it again without Namor. Right. Turns off his memories and does it, but doesn't realize that Suez force fields now. And that's the difference maker that now Sue has other power. Which he didn't bother learning he about. She doesn't even know she has it. So she's yeah. able to like trap them in a bubble to trap air and they're able to get back to earth. It's really cool. It's like this power has become uh, crucial to the team. Yeah. And, and, and I fun. thought that story really highlighted that in a really fun way. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Do you? I do. Okay. <clears throat> but Sue's personality doesn't really change too much. I mean, the powers help her be more involved. Yeah. And she gets kidnapped a little less often. (laughs) She still gets kidnapped, but less often. Oh, let's go to Ben. So it, there's oh. one issue where where Doom kidnaps him off of the microverse mm-hmm. and sells the FF into slavery. Oh, right. <laughs> and like Reed is going to be used as a siege weapon to like get over walls. She's <laughs> using and, him as a slingshot. Doom is like a uh, thing is going to be used to like fight things or knock down stuff. I yeah. Mean, you know, Johnny's flames are super useful, and Sue is sold into slavery to cook and clean. Oh, yeah. It's so. Like in that moment alone, you yeah. should just be like, well, this character is not as good. Yeah. We need to fix this. Standards were just so low. Um, yeah. Uh, what about Ben? So Ben, the Ben, thing, also known as the thing. The thing. Ben Graham, who is who is the best character in the Fantastic Four and is the heart of the story and is mm-hmm. like the breakout character? For sure. Uh, He starts to become himself here because in the first the first eight issues, we see him as an angry, resentful presence a lot. Yeah. But he's starting to. And then in these issues, once he meets Alicia. well, He meets Alicia in the last issue we talked about. Right. Eight. Uh, eight. But uh, well, either it's because of that or it just is along the same time. He starts to soften and become a jokester. Yeah. And like kind of a. Uh, fun uncle and like a sort of a, a, a warm football coach energy. And come on. And he becomes the most lovable and yeah. warm guy. There are remnants of um, the old thing still. in these early issues. He's still like wrecking taxi cabs for no reason. Yeah. Uh, uh, and just like getting really mad. Like he threatens the Yancey street gang with a <laughs> bulldozer. He's going to throw at them. Yeah. Which would have killed, which have murdered several men. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it, doesn't seem like in a silly playful way it seems in a violent angry way yeah um but then it goes away and he starts to make what he starts to make jokes he starts to make a lot of jokes stanley is such a funny man and in spider-man Since Spider-Man is funny, Stan's jokes can come out through Spider-Man. And up until before The Thing is funny, it's hard for Stan's sense of humor to come out. But now that The Thing is allowed to make jokes and sort of call things out and make fun of situations, it's one of Stan's greatest strengths. And The Thing becomes so genuinely funny. There's aspects of The Thing... That I don't know whether the, I mean, I, didn't, I know no one's put any thought into this when they were writing it, but is a thing making a joke or is he being sincere? Like there's moments where he is getting excited because he's going to be shown on television and instead they like focus on Johnny Storm and he's, he's heartbroken. And then, what about me? The lovable thing. And it's like, is that sarcasm? Like you're, you're. Issues ago, you thought of yourself as a monster. <laughs> are you surprised they focused I mean, on the I, kid? I love it when he gets like vain and like proud and like, stuff. I don't know how much of that is meant to like, I can't. I, in my mind, it only makes sense if he's being a little sarcastic when he's like, oh, the idol of millions. When he says that, it seems like he's being sarcastic, but they're like where he sounds very eating. sincere when he says it. And I don't know the difference. Um, uh, I wrote down one joke he says here, like, uh, they ride around in spaceships, and you still haven't paid off our secondhand Chevy. <laughs> thing says that to read. I don't think they have a Chevy. Yeah. They drive around in the Fantastic yeah, Car. Yeah. Like Stanley makes him like this kind of and like. That's issue nine, right? <laughs> uh, that's issue eighteen. Oh, eighteen. When they're going to the Scroll Land. Okay. Um, that sounded like a "we're out of money" joke. Yeah, oh, yeah. So that he definitely gets funnier by the end of this one. When they, when he has, is hired to fight the thing. He uh, makes a joke, I think I mentioned it last episode, where he refers to himself as the only one who believed in the Hulk, even though he for sure never explicitly out loud says the Hulk is behind this throughout the issue. At the very end, he goes, and only I believed in him. (laughs) That's very funny to me. Yeah. Um, He starts to just do, like, he starts to be sort of like a world weary. Like th- th- at the end, they'll be like, we saved the day and think like, yeah, you know, he'll be, he's like that and a dime gets me a cup of coffee kind of attitude. But, uh, he, he says it better than that. I don't know. He's, he's such a delightful, it's such a delightful discovery when Ben becomes warm and funny and loving. And it definitely was not in the plan for him to be that way. Yeah. Look, we're looking at a panel now. So this is from the super scroll issue where, Uh, They land on the moon to go to claim it, and they've discovered a lost city, and the Watcher and the Red Ghost. Uh, the, not Super Scroll. It's uh, sorry, the Red super Ghost apes. and the Super Apes. And so they are exploring this lost city. They're checking out the Watcher. There's Super Apes around, <laughs> and you know, Reed walks away with his long legs carrying Sue. Johnny flies off, and Ben has to walk. And so he's walking, and he he's like got his hands behind his back. Yeah, kind of strutting along, like fed hunched over, like he's like a middle aged man kicking rocks like a child would do for crying out loud. Looks like I just came along for the ride. The only time anyone notices me when they need a hunk of muscle to save them. I must be losing my marbles. Could have sworn I saw that rock move. I'll just kick the bland thing out of my way. He's like a he's like a little rascal. <laughs> yeah. And throughout this issue, he's like, I think he left behind a couple times in this issue. And it's very funny uh, just watching him sort of just... It happens later, not in these issues that we're reading, and I'll probably mention it when we get to them. But one of my favorite jokes he makes is the th- the read is like, "Okay, Ben, stand there. I need to like test the intensity of this like laser ray by blasting it at you or something, or some some device where he needs like to see if." Since thing is so strong Test this device And things like Gosh can't you ever invent something That only works on guys who stretch Yeah Or something like Why can't you be the guy we're testing And it's such a funny thing to say There's also moments where he'll just Say things like What if I cry a little bit Or something (laughs) like Like don't be nervous He's like okay I won't be nervous But what if I cry a little bit Like he makes jokes like that Like he's this little baby Which he's not at all He's He's not a baby But like I mean I really do think Stan, Stan Lee's sense of humor Um I, I guess it's not underrated, but I I, th- I think it's the one thing that L- Stan brings to comics, which he does deserve to take 100 percent credit for, that nobody else does as well as him and has a huge impact on the stories. He's just such a legit, corny, funny guy, and he's able to kind of make fun of superhero stories while also being into them. And it, I don't know, it's it's what it's part of what makes Marvel Comics great is that they, there's a little bit of a tongue in cheek thing going on a lot. And it kind of exists in the Marvel Cinematic Universe when like it's become sort of like bro humor in the Marvel movies. Like when in the Thor Ragnarok and the opening sequence when he's tied up by a chain and a demon is yelling at Thor mm-hmm. and Thor is like rotating around. So he occasionally is not facing the yeah. demon. So Thor will be like, wait, 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 coming around, coming around. And then he comes up. He's like, OK, keep going. Yeah. And I'm like, that is a Stan Lee moment. For me, or yes. is de- descended from Stan Lee's silliness, Ragnarok, which gets almost to the point of parody of superhero films, but not quite. Is real Stan? Isn't that Stan Lee world? Um, because it, it's it's like a silly Stan Lee issue. Yeah. Um. So, so that starts, So that's really starts to come out in Ben in these issues. Um. And how, do it, say, he's, how do you say the Thor director's name, Taika Waititi? Uh, I don't know, and I refuse to try. Okay, well, he obviously is an incredibly funny person who's part of the New Zealand yeah comedy oh, movement. What, what we did, what we do in shadows. What we did in the shadows is such. It is such a delightfully funny movie. Uh, of you know, he and Jermaine Clement, uh, that whole little crew, um, uh, Taika. Taika. Gosh, I'm so embarrassed. And um, and Rhys Darby and Jermaine Clement. Yeah. Um and um, the other flight of the Concords guy. Gosh, I should know these things. Um, Another well-researched episode. Of <laughs> screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. Uh, there's so there's, there's there's a comedy uh Brett Brett McKenzie, um, they're oh, such right, a yeah. a comedy uh force, and um, when when he did Thor, I'm like, well, he he obviously is so funny, and he deserves the credit for how funny that movie is. I think, but um. It's Stan that that found a way to work that into adventure stories. And Jack is funny, too. Jack has a sense of humor, but dialogue-wise, it's all Stan. I would also say I think Ditko's funnier than Kirby. I think so, too. Ditko's slapstick is so good. Yeah. And Kirby's is not as good. Yeah, like, uh, Kirby's slapstick is is almost too... It's too much. It reads a little too blunt. It's it's like... Trying too hard. Yeah, it feels fake, weirdly. It's like, oh, no, your world is not so silly. Um, it doesn't work as well. Whereas like when Flash Thompson tries to fight Peter Parker and Peter Parker knocks him out of the ring with one punch, it looks hilarious. It's like just such a well-drawn thing. Anyway, they're good, those guys. Okay, yeah. so that's the thing, right? Yeah. So uh, let, let's, should we take our break? We'll take a break right now and then we're going to come back and go to whatever our next segment is, which I don't remember what that is. We'll be right back. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And uh, we are back. All right, yeah. Kevin, what's our next segment? It's uh, this Man, this in-depth look at this monster. All right, well, we do a deep dive. We're going to yeah. do a deep dive on Dr. Doom. No, let's talk about Dr. Doom. So we're not going to just talk about Dr. Doom in relation to these issues. It's in the FF overall. Just Doom overall. This is the main villain of FF. I don't understand how this character became a hit. <laughs> um, He's so we, crazy. Up until annual 2... two.
1: I two, find, so two
0: years into this. Yeah, I find the character ridiculous. <laughs> his plots are ridiculous. His threats are meaningless. He, he never works. He's a cloaked figure with a metal mask. There's a vulture next to him in the first issue. Yeah. He can kind of do anything. There's no, like, clear... Yeah, he's a scientist and a magician. Yeah. It's not clear what his deal is. Um, He loses <laughs> significantly... I mean, he feels like he feels like a a Flash Gordon villain. Yeah, Uh, like just like guy who's taken over the world, and you never know his backstory, and you. Never yeah. gonna. His find His name is Doctor Doom, and that tells you everything you need <laughs> to know. I mean, his name is Doctor Doom. His real name is Victor Von Doom. <laughs> Von Doom somehow is the only way to make <laughs> Doom even crazier. <laughs> oh, and he's German. Oh, forget this dude. Yeah. Right, like the two Jewish guys in New York City are making a super a super villain. Two guys who fought in World yeah. War II are like, oh, we'll make him worse. We'll make him German. <laughs> yeah, it's just there's nothing about this character that. I mean, Namor feels like a cool villain. Namor is great right away. Yeah. Uh, I would even say the Red Ghost feels more serious to me. And he's got apes working <laughs> for him. But the Red Ghost is like this communist threat. He can phase through walls. He's a scientist like Reed. He's the polar opposite of the team. Like, I get that character more than this. Just like, oh, yeah, this guy, Reed's old roommate, became a supervillain named Dr. Doom. And he's mad because his face got burned. Which, that's not even a thing in these issues oh, until the annual two. We don't even know that he uh, just wears a mask. I think, right? Oh yeah. no, he does. He takes it off when he meets Stanley and Jack Kirby. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know why it's deformed, but we do find out he's got a horrific face at that point. Yeah. I think like Jack Kirby is a genius, but also a genius. Uh, I, I picture Jack Kirby, just like a guy on a jetpack f- flying through the sky with no steering system. I just wonder, and I just, no way for me to know. But when people read the early Doctor Doom comics, did they go, this guy's cool. We hope he comes back. Or was it just Dan going, I like this name. I like this look. I'm bringing him back. Or maybe Kirby. And we brought him. they brought him back so much that you just became like, oh, I guess this guy's important. Yeah. Like when the Frightful Four first show up, they don't do anything for a while. But each issue is all the characters talking about what a threat they are. Yeah. Like Reed and Johnny and Ben are all like, oh, we're in real trouble. It's all four of these characters. Pace Pot Pete? Yeah. Teamed up with someone, we're in trouble. Teamed up with the wizard and a flying disc so much that it eventually, I'm like, yeah, I guess they are a threat. Yeah, you start to believe it, and I think maybe there's some of that for Doom, uh, at least initially, because he doesn't really feel like a threat, even though he can kind of do anything he wants for the story. Well, I I'll mean, tell you what, Doom he shrinks the team. Anywhere they are at any time he wants. When we meet Doom, he has a time travel device. That's right. That's his first move. Yeah, he is to send them back in time to yeah. get jewels. And then he never uses that again or yeah. rarely. His next move is to launch them into outer space with like <laughs> with like a, a thing the size of like a canister of like instant coffee. Yeah, is able to lift a skyscraper into space. That's his so next he's, move. He's got moves. And that's before sp- Space travel was a thing we did. Yeah. We had not landed on the moon yet. But Doom launched a skyscraper into space. Yeah. Um, and um, the other thing he's great at is speeches. He transfers minds. Oh, yeah. Reads. He switch mi- he switches bodies into read. Yeah. So he's hugely powerful. But, yes, he's, uh, uh, he's a talker. His dialogue is great. I mean, like, Dr. Doom's speeches are so insane. Uh, I think, Kevin, I remember a memory of you and me as kids – reading out loud ff to each other like i think we read issue five out loud we we have it on tape somewhere Uh, yeah and uh audio tape audio tape yeah and like and the doom we were giggling reading the doom speeches because they were just so outlandish but like really fun though you know like a super he's the kind of villain who was like what are you gonna you know what are we doing tonight Pinky, or yeah, what do right. we do in tonight? Brain, same thing we do every night. Pinky taking over the world, or whatever. Like right, right. that's doom. Like yeah, yeah. he gets up every day and he's like, "Well, I have to get about <laughs> running the whole world." <laughs> but even the Fantastic Four will not be able to survive the dread fury of my hurling power spheres. There they are now, together again. I do not see the girl, but she is unimportant. <laughs> Once my power spheres have destroyed those I can dispose of, the invisible girl, I can dispose of the invisible girl at my leisure. Yeah. Ah, my greatest weapons are working perfectly, attracted by their body heat. The spheres are completely encasing the trapped trio. Like what a <laughs> And now my spheres are spiriting them into another dimension. Incredible. <laughs> From which they can never escape till the end of time. <laughs> They're gone. I have won. At last, Dr. Doom has defeated the Fantastic Four. <laughs> and then the invisible girl saves the day. Uh, Yeah. How did she save the day this time? She night? just snuck up on no, him. No, they didn't. No, she didn't do anything. Oh, she didn't do anything. Uh, They just turned on a force. They used a device to stop him. Oh, okay. This is back when Sue couldn't do anything. Sue okay. wanders around and uh, trips him. Okay, well, that's right here on page 20. Good going, Sue. She Uh, cooks him a meal, and it's like, (laughs) and it upsets his stomach. I mean, eventually, Johnny shoots him flames and he falls out of an airplane and hurls into nothingness. So, this is the thing that Kevin and I love is the first couple of times we meet Doom, they just, he's always hurtling away into nothingness. They send him into space, they throw him out of a plane, they shrink him to a dot. And he's got, he, the last thing we see of Doom is always him going, No! And this is the arch nemesis. Of the Fantastic Four. <laughs> there's, uh, God, there's nothing funny to me than Doom just hurtling away. <laughs> but it starts to change when we get to his origin, right? We find out his origin. His origin is legitimately good. Yeah, this, his origin um, beefs him up in a great way. We find out he was a, uh, uh, um, what do you call him? Nomad? Not a nomad. Well, gypsy. Gypsy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think gypsy is now an offensive it term. It is, use using this comic. But that's 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 how he's described well, think, this comic for years and I think years. The this definitely the stereotype of like gypsies. Um, I mean, I think they called themselves. I don't know. I guess I don't know enough. We so. don't know. But like this is the term that it, they are Eastern European nomadic tribes of peasants. Yeah, and he is one of he is one of that tribe. And his his father is killed. His father's out of the picture very young. Yeah, and then his mother is. Killed. Raises him for a while and then is killed and that's devastating to him. And he's left with his people and he sort of sets his mind on like learning the mystic arts so that he can bring his mom back to life. Yeah. He wants to—so a little little Batman going on here. Like he misses his parents. He's also—he was already a genius— as a child, who's already showing the, the signs of being a genius, so he goes to America to study with at the best schools. Yep. So he's extremely smart. He has access to the dark arts. Mm-hmm. He has a huge chip on his shoulder because of how his people were treated and how his parents were taken from him. And yeah, um, he's a, an angry, resentful genius with he, with magic powers. He's reacted to that by. Um, Having severe, supreme confidence in myself and nobody else. I I can only rely on me. Everyone else is inferior to me. And I can't trust them. And up to this point, he's sort of been proven right on that point. So he meets Reed. Yeah. Who takes one look at one of his inventions and goes, I think you made a mistake here. Yeah. Doom won't listen to him. Right. Doom has too much pride. Yeah. And then the device blows up, scarring Doom's face. Uh, there's some dispute. Over, over how, how sp- much he was scarred. When we first learn of this in annual 2 and for a long time it is implied that it's horrific disfigurement because you only hear Doom's reaction to it. Yeah. You never see it. And but I, I think it's it's not like implied there's any mystery here like when we first learn of it it's like yeah. oh he's disfigured. But Kirby has said in his mind it was a small scar. And he was just so prideful that that yes. was enough for him to treat it as if it was a disfigurement, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, and some people think he was horribly disfigured and it was such a tragedy. Uh, often the compromise is he had a small scar. And then when he goes to the the monks that make his suit of armor, he puts on his mask too fast. Well, it's still heating. Well, it's still heating. And that truly scars, truly scars his face. So yeah. it is horrific now if it was not before. That's the way Byrne did it. Yeah. And I think that's pretty— That's accepted. accepted it pretty— <clears throat> Pretty much. Um, so that origin story, like the gypsy background, the loss of the parents, the being neglected and left for dead, or not left for dead, but like nobody to raise him. Yeah. and then he, But he does have a guy who like becomes his like teacher who like takes care of him. Yes. There's, there's some, one of the gypsies. I just don't know the, the other I don't. I don't, I don't know either. Uh, uh, sort of takes care of him and sort of becomes like a servant for him when he becomes, when he takes it's over. It's like his Alfred basically. Yeah. Cause it somehow, and I don't know quite how he did this. He becomes King, a Monarch, a Monarch a of, a Monarch yeah. Um, of a fictional Eastern European sort of principality. And, um, but all of this kind of does make him a better character, like his pride, his, his humble beginnings, his, he sort of is like evil Batman, really. Like he he perfects himself to take over the world. And uh, his his weakness is like wishing he could get his mother back, which if you're a kid reading comics is like a big, uh, you know, sentimental button to, to push that works. Um, and he is as smart as Reed, but he's got pride. So when he messes up, he's not able to see it where it's implied that Reed would accept it. Yeah. He's maybe one step dumber than Reed, it seems to be I guess Reed is supposed to be the maximum in the Marvel universe, but he's an incredibly smart person. And Reed respects him when he first meets him. Like, Reed thinks what he's doing is amazing and cool. Reed just wants to work with this guy. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is a great thing. You have a little mistake here, but this is great. You can check over my work. It's sort of implied. Yeah, yeah. Like, Reed would listen if Doom pointed out a mistake in in Reed's work. Yeah. He would double-check those numbers. When I think of Doom, I think of the word bah. (laughs) <laughs> like he's always telling people, "Bah, I don't need you, you weak, inferior mind." Um. But, uh, yeah, it's sort of it, once annual two comes around, he he's a better story. Um. And yeah, I, and he becomes I, a more interesting character. His connection, I mean, it was already explain that he was a roommate of Reed yeah it felt so random <laughs> yeah it's like this guy but now we get a little bit more into it he feels like a real person despite his cartoonish name and cartoonish look the eastern european background helps because like why are you wearing a big metal armor thing but he was sort of around people where the technology was was, yeah. was older and like they didn't you know armor doesn't seem so crazy he he's part of he, he's studied dark arts and rituals from sort of like tibetan monks yeah so like the robes that he wears make a sort of sense in a way. Yeah. They, they find a way to justify the weird decisions that I bet you Jack Kirby just picked because he thought they looked cool. And so now this guy who already has like a really good look and a memorable name, if a bit ridiculous does sort of step up and become like the main villain, like, during the very first Marvel crossover, Secret Wars. Yeah. Where an alien being known as the Beyonder <laughs> takes all the heroes and villains onto his planet and says, fight each other. Right. And I I love it. I don't care if it's bad. I, People love I, the Secret Wars. When I reread it, I still am like, I still like it. Yeah. Uh, but Doom is the one who sort of becomes like the main villain of that story. Yeah. Over Magneto, over uh, whoever else is there. Yeah. Definitely over the Beyonder, who isn't maliciously evil. Uh, there's no Spider-Man villain powerful enough to take that down. Dr. Home. Octopus is there, but it's just like, no, Dr. Doom is a bigger villain. Yeah. And Dr. Doom, even at this stage, you could tell Stan loves him because Dr. Doom shows up in issue five of Spider-Man. Yep. He definitely fights Iron Man. Um, uh, Right. He's, uh, he takes the tour of all the Marvel properties. Yeah. He gets his own comic for a short while called Super Villain Team-Up, oh. where Doom teams up with different villains. Yeah, they loved him. And lose, I guess. i, yeah, I never, yeah. I've never, read, never read it. Because back then, villains never won. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Doom was like a legitimate character, uh, like the main villain in the Marvel Universe. I remember uh, there was a crossover event, I forget when this was called Acts of Vengeance, where all the villains sort of got together and go, hey, let's just switch heroes. Maybe we'll win. Like, yeah, you take out Spider-Man for me, and I'll take out uh, Daredevil for you, sort yeah. of thing. And... All the villains agree to do this, but Doom doesn't. Doom agrees to do it, but then secretly gets involved in fighting the Fantastic Four because he's like he doesn't want anyone else to beat them. <laughs> and it's sort of like yeah, it's like yeah, he would never let anyone else do it. Like every other villain, sort of is like arbitrary. It's like why does the Vulture always fight Spider-Man? He just does. Yeah, but Doom is like hates the Fantastic Four in a way. It goes personal, beyond that. Yeah. Um he, beyond coincidence. I definitely remember as a kid reading the comics that when Doom shows up, it's fun because he is full of bravado, full of confidence, yeah. pretty, pretty powerful generally. So he's yes. a real threat. I mean, when a, when a true villain emerges who just is unapologetically to his core evil, it is a blast. I think the story in this run where he takes over the Baxter building and the FF to fight their way back into the Baxter building is a really good Doom story. Yeah. I think it's my favorite Kirby Doom story. Oh, interesting. Um, that we'll get to in a while. Yeah. Uh, then there's also the one where he takes the Surfer's powers, which is a little bonkers, it's a little crazy that he becomes like a cosmic entity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. He, he's one of the premier villains of the Marvel universe. I think he's tough in the movies. I think it, he's tougher than the fantastic four in the to movies. adapt. His yeah. name is crazy. He's so comic booky. Yeah, he's so Flash Gordon-y. Yeah, I mean, It, it doesn't age well at all. It's similar to, like, when Iron Man decided to adapt the Mandarin. They sort of made him a fake character. Yeah, an actor pretending to be him. Because yeah. it's like, why else would this character it exist? Just, it's hard to sell it as a real villain. Yeah. Um, and if Doom has a little bit of that to him, it's like, the look would look weird in the comics. Yeah. The name is really hard. <laughs> In a a world where lots of dumb names are being thrown about, you got somebody named Ant-Man, Dr. Doom still sounds too crazy. I almost think you can't have Doom at all in the first movie. Yeah. Because he just takes up too much time to do him right. You know what? The closest to this problem is the Green Goblin, which is like he looks insane. That name is silly. His powers are sort of impractical. But the Goblin has the advantage that the character is crazy. Yeah. So he's like, I'm nuts. That's why I'm doing it. And Doom sort of isn't supposed to be crazy. Yeah. Also, Norman Osborn is not so bad. Like, yeah. as a story, like, Just, the, the story behind Goblin is easier to swallow. Yeah. There's less, there's less moving parts, for sure. Yeah. Like, Doom is a whole movie on his own. It would be like if his name was Norman Goblin. <laughs> you almost hmm. couldn't adapt Norman Goblin becoming Green Goblin. Um, uh, yeah, but doom, he is, he is the most famous, I mean, defense were of a lot of famous villains and he trumps them all by a long shot. Yeah. I wouldn't way bigger than the mad thinker, way bigger than Annihilus. but really Kirby shines best when it's Galactus. Like that is the peak moment of Kirby. And it's, he does better or name more when there's like a civilization to battle with or a, or a cosmic threat. I don't think it's, Completely surprising that the best stretch of these comics, Doom, is not in it. Yeah, it's the Frightful Four, who the s- Inhumans, then the Inhumans, And the Galactus, then Galactus, then Black Panther, then more Inhumans, and it's sort of just exploring. <coughs> excuse me, exploring like all these sort of worlds and characters, and it's less other than the Frightful Four. It's less about supervillains. I think you're right. Doom is. The FF already have problems in adapting them. But when you throw Doom into the mix, it's just too much for a movie to solve. Yeah. I mean, you want to get Doom in the MCU in a way, but it, it, I think, he's, he's, just so I think he's easier to bring into an—like, he'd be easier to bring into the uh, Avengers movies, where yeah. all these characters are sort of known quantities. Yeah. And you could sort of put some time into—I think it'd be still hard, but it'd be easier. Yeah. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, I can envision it because they could sort of immediately call out all of his stuff while yeah. letting it stand, like Rocket Raccoon could just be like, "We can worry about this guy called Doom, or whatever." <laughs> good, good Bradley Cooper, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I think if the FF were established and you liked them, and they were coming back for maybe in a adventure. future movie, yeah, you'd have all these personalities. You know, Thing would already be sort of his lovable self. Johnny be the hothead, and it wouldn't be like them getting coming to grips with their powers. Was it? Weren't the was, was the Inhumans a show that didn't work? <laughs> yeah. Already, I think that's such a disappointment because the the Inhumans are so great. The story is, and I don't know how true it is, is that um, Kevin Feig and this other guy, Avi Arad, Uh were sort of at odds fighting over what could become movies. And Avi was sort of in charge. Uh And so he was the reason they didn't make any female superheroes because he's like, they don't work. Catwoman was a failure. Supergirl was a failure. These movies are bombs, even though those movies were bad. Right. right. So he wouldn't approve like a Black Widow movie or... um, Captain Marvel Uh and what happened was Kevin Feig was doing all the work and somebody Was like this is the guy who knows everything let's put him In charge and maybe Kevin Feig said if I'm gonna keep Doing this yeah you gotta put me in Charge yeah and Avi Arad Was put in charge of the television stuff okay And he was the big thing of like Inhumans and I think his Thinking was we don't have the X-Men So let's just use the Inhumans as our X-Men Okay that's not Not Totally crazy though the Inhumans are so Weird and so tough To wrap your head around. They're so vague. Yeah. They occupy this weird middle space. They're not like the Guardians of the Galaxy, which were like not a hit, but sort of like pretty clear what they were. Yeah. Inhumans were sort of like, what do you do with these guys? No one's ever really cracked that nut in a long term series. Yeah. But because of that, it became it went from a movie to a television show and it became a low budget television show because nobody believed in it. uh, Though It had a movie release. It was like it, it. The first two episodes released as an IMAX movie theaters, and it was just a. I've never seen an episode. It looked bad. Yeah. It got bad reviews. It did not last long. Uh, well, in the in the FF comics, I love the Inhumans. Yeah, we'll get to them. I the- don't like the Inhumans as an except idea. Every time I read them, I love everything. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing about them like Black Bolt. Don't care. Yeah. Medusa seems silly. Marvel? Karnak. I kind of dig Karnak. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love Lockjaw. Uh but then in like in these comics, I love the Inhumans. Uh, and yeah. then Paul Jenkins did a 12 issue series where I loved the Inhumans. Yeah. And, and Marvel did this big push for the Inhumans. I didn't really dig those, but then every now and then someone would come in and just do like a core inhuman story. Like uh, Christopher Priest did one. I was like, ooh, that's good. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you know what? They do work. They just they're very. They're the most curbiest thing. But they shouldn't ever work. They shouldn't work. Uh, we're going to talk way more about the humans when okay, they show so up. Maybe we should move on to our next uh, segment. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, we're almost. We're out almost of segments. done. We're almost out of segments. That's good. Uh, we're at the uh, fantastic hour chat. All right, so we give each other a um, a challenge. Yeah. All right. What is? I'm going to ask you and a I toaster. Have, Okay, that doesn't... Okay, I'll tell you what my question <laughs> is right. now. Let's stick with my answer, though. Go All on. right, what is the one way... What is a story you could pitch in this run to make Sue have a shining moment? Okay, so there's a toaster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, this is already tough now. Um, <clears throat> like, pitch me a good Sue story. Before? With shields. With force fields? Uh, um, well, I'm going to cheat a little bit. There is a great story by uh was it jeff parker uh no zeb wells okay zeb wells did a story in marvel adventures fantastic four these are uh directed at all ages okay kids books that were sold in these little digests they were right. sold as issues and i collected in these digests and i bought them all nice as a 30 something year old man at the time great as a 44 year old i reread the sue one because i remembered liking it so much preparing for this uh podcast okay and uh not this particular episode but in general and in it uh nick fury recruits sue to be a spy he's right. like he's like you're the most powerful member of the ff i need you he's like i don't i don't need these guys breaking down walls and yeah, yeah. things. i need someone who can turn invisible stealth who has force fields that's crazy adaptable yeah and he starts start sending her on missions. Yeah, and she's like, "I don't know, I'm part of the Fantastic Four, but they sort of are taking her for granted in this story because it's all ages it's a little blunt." And she's like, "Okay, I'll do one." And she's great at it. Yeah. And Nick Fury's like, "Oh, you're the best. Great, keep keep sending her missions." Almost like, uh, uh, uh the Incredibles. The Incredibles. She just sort of gets really excited by like being the lead. Yeah. Um, it ends with like the FF. She w- watches the thing on the uh, on TV where the FF are being interviewed instead of her because they're the heroes. And they're like, well, we couldn't have done it without Sue. They all sort of give her credit. And she's like, oh, I'm yeah, staying yeah. with the FF, yeah. not Fury. But in the story, you just see her kick butt in all these different ways. And it's just like, yeah, give her a chance to be alone. Yeah. And not have them show up at all to help. And have her be no problem. <laughs> like, just remind you of all the things she can do. And once you do that, it'll be hard to ignore that in future issues but like often throughout this and it's a problem I have with Reed in general. It's like, she'll put up a force field. It's like, Reed goes, put up a force field. Sue is a dialogue blow. It's it's like not even her idea to do it. Yeah. Or like she'll do it. And then three panels later, it's like, good thing I told you to do that. And it's, that sort of even diminishes what she's already done. Yeah. Have her be proactive and powerful. It would be my answer. Do you have an answer? No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Here's my answer. If, Like the Hulk ended at issue six. Yeah. If the FF ended after the infant terrible. Okay. Which is a low point. A low point. How are they remembered? Uh, They they still exist in the Marvel universe. They probably show up in comics once in a while. Yeah, a great question. They, They would be like, I have an answer. They would be like Guardians of the Galaxy, which is like, they'd be a joke, but they would have happened early enough that like you know, super Marvel nerds would be like, well, how about the FF? And somebody would bring him back like a Keith Giffen or JM to like in the late eighties early and reinvent them better. And part of it would be their jokiness. Part of it would be they'd like be a much sillier team. They sillier and not respected, but that would be part of the equation. It's like, well, let's have the FF, I guess. Let's not have that Ben guy break everything. I wonder if they would become like, they'd steer into the celebrity aspect of them. Almost like almost like reality show. Like, why are these people on TV heroes and famous? Yeah. Well, they're the Kardashians of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. It's like, what did they do to get famous? Yeah. I wonder if they would take that turn just based on what you said. Yeah. Um, I mean, for sure they would come back. It's crazy to imagine. This I, feel like the way, I feel like way I feel like. But let's like in my mind, it's like ah, the Hulk was cooler. Cancel the FF, replace it with the Hulk. Hulk's a hit. Didn't um what's his face bring back was Doom Patrol an original work or were they like a re They were original. I mean, they were an original work at one point. But um when what's his face what's the Scottish Grant magician, when Grant Morrison like reinvigorated them, he didn't invent them, right? He did not invent them, he took them. an he, old property he had like, new characters and stuff. But. He Alan moored them, right? He yes. like brought them he dusted them off and sort of made them modern. Yeah. I they feel were, like somebody would do that to The F- Doom Patrol were weird to begin with. Yeah. And so he sort of He did challenges of the Unknown also, right? Uh, no, no, oh, no. That no, was no. Jeff yes. Loeb and uh, yeah, um, yeah. Tim Sale. Good run, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Grant Morrison, uh, Doom Patrol, and I haven't read a lot of their old comics. Were already a weird book that was sort of like didn't quite make sense. And Grant Morrison's like, oh, I like that about them. Yeah, and went, said times a thousand. Yeah, yeah. These guys <laughs> really weird and strange. They now have a TV show on the DC streaming platform oh, that I mean- I here is good. Oh, yeah. Well, I feel like that would happen to the FF. They would be like a Doom Patrol, sort of like strange, yeah. a strange alchemy of things. Guardians of the Galaxy feels like a good fit in the sense that, like, well, while it already exists in the world universe, so it's easy to imagine yeah. how it would fit. But they had no respect and they were not a big thing. Yeah. And then enough people took a crack at it that they kind of got retroactively made to be a thing that yeah, worked. But even when they show up in comics, they're sort of like this ragtag crew of goofballs. Yeah. That are like, oh, they're good for some reason. Yeah. Good answer. Thank you. Uh, this is also where we would do our mailbag, but uh, we don't- None have of our issues our, are out we yet. We haven't published this podcast. <laughs> this is episode four, five, five. Five. Not, not a single episode is launched. I just edited them all yesterday. So they, I've just now begun the delivery yeah. system of so getting them out. By the time you hear this episode, I don't know where we'll be, but uh, <laughs> just know we, we haven't heard from you yet. And the reason we haven't read your emails on the air is because we- don't exist. The time we used our Infinity Stones poorly, we jumped five years into the future. I can't explain it better than that. Yeah, uh, but do email us at ScrewItSpidey, our at old gmail. email address that we're still using. That's right, ScrewItSpidey at gmail If you email us, tell us what you think about the format of how we're doing this. Uh, yeah, it feels harder. We we didn't. We're doing something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> But it also feels necessary. Yeah, just I time. think it's just 102 issues. There's no other way to do it. Uh, but let us know what you think of the format. Let us know what you think of these issues if you've read them. Anybody's read these FF issues. We want to know what you think. Uh, do you love these issues? Do you yeah. love the infant terrible? I want to hear from you. Oh, if anybody has read and likes the infant terrible, you, you got to email us immediately. Um, what, what do you think would have happened to the FF if uh, they had gotten canceled? After issue 24. Uh, how would you have made Sue... A better character early in the run. Can Doom be put into a movie? Yeah, I'd love to hear all those answers from you guys. So email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can also follow us at Twitter at screwitcomics. Right. And we're also on Instagram at screwitcomics where yep. we post some images from the run. It won't be as in depth as the Spider Man one because I just won't have time. Yeah, but we'll uh, get some stuff uh, in but there. We'll start putting some stuff up there. Uh, and then also, I have an Instagram called screwitrecent. Which is just I occasionally put up panels of something yeah. I've read that I liked. And Kevin has really good taste in comics, so there's good stuff in there and some bad stuff. Um, I'll do it both. <laughs> we didn't talk about Yancy Street Gang, so we'll get to them next next episode. They do show up in this run, yeah, a bunch, and they're they're hilarious and great. Okay. Well Next r- next. Remember episode. that Yancy Street. Uh, all right, everybody. Um, thanks so much for listening, Kevin. Good episode. Will. Uh, I thought your episode was Be stingy uh, Revolting Oh boy <laughs> <laughs> oh, What a revolting development uh, It was great It was good Good job uh, Alright see you guys next episode Bye Bye it We're just going to talk about comics Hey podcast fans great news you got a new podcast to listen to every Tuesday this is fantasy Flicks League I'm Ryan Meharry. I'm Mike McClendon I'm Amy ruffle and we're the commissioners and hosts of the fantasy Flicks League podcast a podcast all about the box office we got flops we got bombs we give unsolicited updates on the hosts love lives a reoccurring character who loves Deadpool no matter what his parents say I'm gonna see it mom Screw no! you. with an a-list guest lineup and the movie news you need to decide what to see and what to skip the fantasy Flick League podcast drops every Tuesday morning. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Campfire.